Hello, North Cincy Student Ministries. Eric here. It's a joy to be back with you studying God's Word. We are doing a series this spring term in the book of James called A Faith That Works, highlighting just the reality that faith is just not passive, but it is active. Our faith in God influences all that we do, and the book of James is a beautiful book about when faith meets real life. It's about a life that embodies authentic faith, so I look forward to to journeying with you over these next 10 weeks as we study the book of James together in our large group and in our small groups. It saddens me that I have to do this, start this off virtually and doing our both our uh, devotionals and our small groups virtually until things change, but it is great that we can still do this, that we can still be together virtually and study God's words together, so let's do just that. We'll, we will be in the start of James today, in James 1, and I will read to verse 8, from verses 1 to verse 8, so if you have a Bible, please Open it up to James 1, verse 1, and read with me. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of, you, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word to us. Thank you for instruction on a faith that works. Thank you that you are our help. Thank you that you, through your word, revealed to us a, an awareness that life is hard, that we experience trials, but that our trials are a means to an end of a greater maturity, of a greater wisdom that rests in you alone. Help us to, as we say it said over these next 10 weeks, journey in wisdom together that we would leave here um, knowing you more fully and knowing how to live in light of, in light of knowing you uh, better in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, some of you have heard me tell this story. I tell it every year at our... Um, our graduation dinner, but it's fitting for this uh, to illustrate uh, this passage today. So when I was in seminary, I lived in St. Louis, and we gave up a lot to go to seminary. Uh, We had, both my wife and I had full-time jobs. Uh, I was already in ministry, and Addie was working as, my wife Addie was working for um, a ministry uh, as well. So we had ministry, we we had money, (laughs) uh, we had friends, we had a lot going for us. We had a comfortable life. Uh, even though it wasn't easy, it was very, very comfortable. And then uh, God put it on our hearts to pursue uh, pastoral ministry, me, and then Addie Counseling. So we did our research and left and, and left Lexington, where we were at the time, and, and moved to St. Louis. And I remember we got to St. Louis, and we didn't know a single person. We had no friends. We had spent a lot of our money to move 
and we uh, wrote our first uh, first semester tuition check, and we had no money left, and uh, things were were hard. Things were difficult. I, I stepped into a classroom, and I I was had been out of a classroom for probably six years, I believe. So just I wasn't just ready intellectually to step back into that environment, and it was stretching on all levels. We we received trials of various kinds, to use the language of James, where we had intellectual trials. We had uh, trials of you know when are we how are we going to make money? What are our jobs going to look like? How are we going to pay for these next three years? So we had financial trials. We had relational trials, right? We had these these good friends who we weren't around regularly anymore. We, like I said, had trials of various kinds. And one of the things that we loved to do while we were in St. Louis is go to this outdoor theater called the Muni. And the Muni uh, was great because the last like thousand seats were free. So you had to show up like two hours beforehand and wait in line. And then eventually if uh, you'd go through and we went and saw this one uh, called, uh, it was a stage adaptation of The Addams Family, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with The Addams Family. And in the Adams family, there's a brother and a sister, and they're best friends. And they, they, like, they do Adams family things together uh, that are strange, but they, they have a great relationship. Right? They like torture one another, and that's fun. And, and they scare people, and they uh, are these dark and gloomy characters uh, who, who people think are weird, but they're weird together, and, and therefore they have each other. And the, the stage adaptation is a story about how the sister gets engaged, and she's getting ready to get married. And the brother is kind of left figuring out, well, who am I without my sister as she leaves the family and goes and, and, and starts her own family? And who am I? What am I supposed to do? And I remember this scene uh, where the brother is like, there's, I think it's a song, I can't remember, but it's kind of like, it's just, a, it's just him, you know, uh, by himself reflecting. And he says this phrase, he says, I wonder if the best days are behind me. He loved what was, and now he is wondering, will, will things ever be as good as they were? And I remember just the Lord using that moment to bring to light language for me that wondered that where I was wondering the same things was, I'm going through some serious trials. Did I make a mistake? Are my best years behind me? Did I leave something that I shouldn't have left? Should I have stayed in Lexington? Should I have stayed in college ministry? Should I have stayed in the support systems that we had there? Did I make a mistake? Are the best days behind me? And as we come to our text this morning, James knows that we will face disorientation. He knows that as we live our lives, like me, as I'm transitioned from Lexington to St. Louis, it was a trial of disorientation. I was confused. I didn't know what to do. God had brought me to a point in life where I had nowhere to look. And therefore, I was at a place where I was open to receiving direction, receiving wisdom from the Lord in a new way that I hadn't been before where things were good. James knows that life is hard. He knows that we will face disorienting trials of various kinds. And he knows that we will need direction on how to live in those disorienting times. And for you, as students, you are in a disorienting time, whether you realize it or not. The student years are disorienting years. You are maturing on all levels of all kinds. And things are hard. 
one year you have a really good friend who's your best friend and the next year things change and they're not your best friend anymore. Your body is going through changes and you're wondering how am I going to end up when this is all said and done. You are looking, you are building up and you're doing all these things. You're working hard to go to college or to go into the career force after, after high school and you're thinking to yourself, what, is, what am I supposed to do with my life? How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to you know, study one day? You are in disorienting circumstances naturally. But not just that, throw in a global pandemic where these structures, these things that were in place are now so insecure. Will you or will you not have a basketball season this year? Will you or will you not have a school play this year? There's just so, will you or will you not have to wear masks in six months, right? You, you, you have lost these rhythms that you, are, that you so enjoyed and it has caused disorientation in your life. And what better than the book of James to face that disorientation, to look to the Lord for wisdom on how to navigate the right now because life is a continual cycle of disorientation. Pandemics come and go, school come and go, relationships come and go. You will transition over and over and over again. And you will have disorientating circumstances and trials of various kinds. And this is a great book to know not just how to trust God in that, but how to live a life that trusts God in that. How to live a life of wisdom, how to walk in perseverance. So the big question that I want to ask our text, James 1 verses 1 through 8, is how do you live with so much unknown? How do you live in times of disorientation? What do you tangibly do? What is wisdom in disorientation? And you know, as one uh, pastor friend of mine from St. Louis has said, he says, pursuing wisdom isn't just about pursuing facts. It's about pursuing the source of all knowledge. It's about pursuing God himself. And what we see is as we come to points of disorientation in our lives, however that may look, whether big or small, we see that God is our help in times of trouble. God is our help. And that's what James wants us to see, that God is the one whom we come to, His Word, His people, by His Spirit, to orient ourselves in times of disorientation. And what we see from James 1, verses 1 through 8, is that we can, because God is our help in trouble, we can be a steadfast people and we can be a stable people. We can be a people who, who make it through all trials of various kinds. We have, we have a power available to us in God, wisdom in God, that can get us through whatever we're going through. And not just that, but in the midst of unstable and, and, and uncertain times, whether that be globally, whether that be in your country or in your personal life, you can be stable. As, as, as the winds shift around you, as the storms come, you could be stable, you could be anchored. So let's first look at we can be a steadfast people. Look with me in verse 1. James, a servant of God and, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in dispersion. What, what does that mean, the twelve tribes in dispersion? So James is the brother, half-brother of Jesus. He is a Jew and he is writing to fellow Jews. And he is not literally writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, as this is how the people of God were described in the Old Testament. He's using this familiar language as an illustration to the original recipients of this letter. James was an early church leader in Jerusalem to and for the Jewish people. 
However, there were Jews scattered all throughout the Roman Empire, and it is believed that this letter is more than likely a pastoral letter full of wisdom written to these people. James is encouraging them to walk with Jesus as a disoriented and scattered people away from their homeland, away from what is familiar to them, away from regular patterns and rhythms that they're so accustomed to. However, just like in all of Scripture, this is not a letter exclusively to them, as it is as as it is much a benefit to them as it was, but it's also a benefit and to us today as a scattered people making our way, our earthly journey to our heavenly home. And it says that they're in dispersion. And he, he is he is he is starting off his letter with a reality that these people are disoriented. And and what he is trying to tell us, as he will tell us from verses two through the rest of the letter, is that disorientation is a starting place of wisdom. To be wise in the things of God, we must first come to a place of realization that we cannot be wise in our own eyes. Wisdom is, as, as a professor used to always say in seminary, it is skill in the art of godly living. I'll say that again. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. If we seek to be, to be skilled in how to walk with God in this world, disorientation is the starting point. Because it is disorientation that says, Lord, I can't, but you can. And as we consider, he said, as we continue, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. James is encouraging us to consider our trials to be pure joy, which is so strange if you think about it. James is not telling us so much how to how to um, how to how to how to feel right? Just like like oh like this happy go lucky all things are bad but I feel great. But he's telling us also just that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying here he's he's giving us a, a perspective. He's giving us a mentality to face trials because with that to think that and consider them joy because God is using those to do something in our lives. That the the trials that we go through are a means to an end. They're not things that we that we that we look to, to happen, right? We don't go around looking for trials and picking fights and, and doing things, right? But when we face trials, he's telling us to consider it joy, to count it all joy, complete joy, absolute joy when we face these trials because these trials are a gift to us because they will develop us in wisdom and maturity and bring us to points of disorientation where we look to trust God more fully. As one commentator says, the key here is to see that James says, whenever you meet trials. Not if, but when. Trials are normal. They are not unexpected or freak occurrences. They are sadly part and parcel of the regular Christian life. We will meet trials. We will. They will happen to us. And James gives us practical wisdom on how to persevere through those trials. And they are trials of of various kinds. All trials not just physical trials, emotional trials, social trials, spiritual trials, all trials. He doesn't name a specific trial to look out for. He just says all trials. And then it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There it is, steadfastness. We can be a steadfast people. The testing of our faith because of God's hold on us, can produce a steadfastness, a, a working through, a getting through of these. And then verse 4 it says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Trials teach us perseverance. Trials teach us to persevere. As one commentator says, they, they put us in situations where it's not easy to keep going and where we will only do so, keep going with a measure of, with a determination, a trust, a faith. It is suffering that proves, strengthens, and deepens our faith. Faith is a little more, faith is like a little muscle in the human body. It is, as it is worked out, it grows, but it needs something to push against it. Muscle growth requires discomfort. Faith needs the pushback of trials to grow us spiritually. Trials and difficulties are opportunities to cling to the promises of God more tightly. And that's, that's, that's what we're talking about. And that's what maturity is. It's, it's God's exercising of our muscles of faith so that over time we cling more tightly to the promises of God. And that's what wisdom is. Skill, <coughs> excuse me, in the art of godly living. And because of that, John, uh, James's goal, his prayer for us in our trials is that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we face hardship, there is a purpose for our trials, no matter how big, no matter how small. Trials hurt, but they're not in vain. God is achieving something in us as we persevere through them. Suffering in and of itself is not a good thing. James is saying that that what God saying is that it is what God can accomplish through suffering that is good, not the suffering itself. Therefore, we are to cherish, as one commentator says, cherish the prospect of a deeper and richer faith. We can be a steadfast people in times of disorientation and in times of difficulty. Not because we've got some answer or some great thing that we've figured out, but because God is, is with us. And disorientation leads to an asking. It leads to a longing, which we see in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom teaches us what to do in trials. Here James assumes that we need wisdom, and yet we lack wisdom. That's why he counsels us to ask God for it. Trials give us the opportunity to grow, but this does not mean that we will know how to grow. If we are to discern what God is teaching us through trials, how to conduct ourselves, how to best live, then therefore we need wisdom. And it is safe to assume that everyone who goes through trials and therefore needs wisdom, knowing how to live and, and walk in the skill of godly living, they're, they're, they, they, are, they are looking for wisdom on how to go through these trials. It's be, trials, what I'm trying to say is, is that trials bring confusion. Trials and confusion go together. One way to know if you're going through some kind of trial is if you're feeling a sense of confusion and disorientation. Therefore, instead of trying to stand on your own two feet and figure things out, James calls us to ask God for wisdom because God freely gives us wisdom. James encourages us to ask God for help, not try harder. He says, let him ask God. James points our asking to God himself. James first names that we will experience, experience disorienting trials, which then leads us to express our need for wisdom and how to get through those trials, which then will lead us to conclude that we will find our way through these trials by looking to God, by praying, asking, and by submitting to his word to know on how to live life through 
these trials. And James encourages us to ask for wisdom and to bring those requests to God himself, who is the giver of wisdom. And then he, he, he has this little um, caveat. And then he, he kind of gets to, he has this illustration as he uh, gives a warning as we finish out this passage. It says in verse 6, Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is being tossed by the wind, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Ask in faith with no doubting. What's, what's it mean there? Because God is true and has proved himself generous to us in the gospel, James therefore concludes that we are to ask with hearts free from doubt. What does this mean? As one commentator says, James is not saying that we must never have a spiritual question or struggle to understand the ways of God or wrestled with parts of the Bible's teaching. James is not saying that we need to have worked ourselves up into a state of absolute belief. Well, if he's not saying that, then what is he saying? He's saying that we are to ask without doubt as those who have split loyalties. Right? So by doubt, James means someone who is double-minded someone who you might think of as fickle or two-faced, double-minded. To be double-minded is to be someone who trusts one thing at one moment, and then when, things are, when you're not getting it, then you move on to something else. It's like someone longing for affection from someone else who goes from boyfriend to boyfriend or girlfriend to girlfriend because the, the affection that they so long for, they're not getting, so they just move on. This is to be double-minded. Therefore, according to James, the doubter is someone who wants to to hedge their best two ways. They'll ask God for wisdom, but they'll also look over their own shoulder to see if anything else is better or on, on the table. They are double-minded, trying to live in more than one direction at once. They, can, they think that they can switch between worldly wisdom and God's wisdom at will and get the best of both worlds. To be double-minded is to have two masters. It's to live a life that seeks wisdom from multiple foundations. As the same commentator says, one foot is in the kingdom of God and the other foot is in this world. Christian wisdom is pulling you one direction and worldly wisdom the other. What, what, what James is getting at is not, not to be people free of question and to, and to be people free of disorientation or to be pe- people free of confusion. Right? He, what he is saying is, that, is, is to be a people of one allegiance is that God is, is the one that we look to because we trust Him, the one who, who we look to for wisdom, and that we don't have feet in, in two worlds, as He said, but that we are in our tossed like an anchorless ship by the, by the storms of life, but we have our feet on solid ground, and therefore when the storms come, we look to God who is the giver of wisdom and how we are to step. It reminds me of this. You know, we, we take this uh, every year, and I'll close with this story, Every year we take, uh, we, uh, as part of our student ministry uh, you know, rhythm of annual events, we have a canoe day, and we go to the place on the Little Miami River, and we, we go canoeing, and you know, when, I, when I do it, I, I get a kayak. So I, I sit in this kayak, and then we go for the first leg, and we, we stop off at, the, uh, at this, like, um, this uh, I think it's a campground, and there's like a concession stand and bathrooms. We kind of take a little break, catch our breath, get some water. And it's to be a double-minded man or, or woman is like this. To, to stay on two foundations is like this. So when I do that, I, I, I don't like to get wet, right? So 
Um, I don't want to. It's the 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 you know the, the little Miami is not you know it's not swimming in somebody's backyard pool. It's 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 not the warmest thing, right? So I try to I try to paddle all the way up to the edge, where I can stay. I can stand up on my kayak and I can step on solid ground, right? So my so I have one foot on solid ground that's dry and one foot that's still in the kayak that's wet or that's not wet but that's in the water. And if I were to stay there. I would begin to, my feet would slowly begin to drift apart, right? Even though my right foot is on solid ground, my left foot is, 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 not on, is, on, is on water, right? It's on a kayak that sits on water. So my legs will begin to fall, and eventually I'd be, my legs would begin to spread apart, and eventually I'd fall into the water. And, and what James is talking about, to be, to be single-minded instead of double-minded, is to get both of those feet out of the kayak and to put them on solid ground. You can't be a wise person. You can't be somebody who walks with God with a foot on solid ground and a foot on the kayak. Because if you try to do that, if you try to get wisdom from, from God's Word, but also wisdom from the world, whatever that means for you, if you try to do that, your feet will slowly begin to, to drift apart and you'll fall. And James is telling us to get out of the kayak and stand on the two on solid ground, to stand on God's wisdom in God's wisdom alone. And as we continue through the book of James, this over these, like I said, these next 10 weeks, we're going to learn to be a people who stand on solid ground. We're going to learn that to, to, to know as, as the storms of life come, as disorienting circumstances come and go, how to persevere, how to be a steadfast people, how to be a stable people who look to God as our help in trouble. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. Help us to catch a vision, to be a stable people, to be a steadfast people in times of trouble, because you are help in times of trouble. As we journey, like I said, over these next 10 weeks, help us to be a people who, who look to you and your word for direction, for life, because in it there is wisdom, skill in the art of godly living, godly living that we also desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen.